Welcome to the shit show of my 20s. My name's Sophia. I'm a 20-year-old loan officer from California. I started this podcast back in April 2020. Got furloughed from my job for about three months. And during those three months, I was very honest with myself. I was like, we can either start emotionally eating. We can start suppressing these feelings of not feeling worthy because you've lost this thing that you attach so much of your identity to. Or we could start that podcast that you've always been wanting to start. So I decided to go with that second option and I'm so glad I did. I've interviewed over 130 people since then. It's been incredible. I've got to interview music artists and seven-figure entrepreneurs and just all these incredible people with different stories and different ways of how they got to where they are and just hearing about their journey, hearing about their shit show moments because we all have shit show moments and just learning how to navigate them better and learning how to learn from them and take them and create something magical out of them. And I'm so glad that I get to interview all these incredible people and I am such a big believer that you can radically change your life in a year. You can just radically change your circumstances, where you're at. And I remember being 19 and just trying to get a job and applying to like, I was applying to Ross and like a smoothie bar and like all these places wouldn't take me. And I was like, so offended. I was like, why is no one taking me? And then I finally passed my NMLS test. And then I got a job with a major mortgage company. And I was like, oh, that's why they didn't take me. Cause I was meant to go down and get this job instead of that job. And I went from being 19 with $0 in my bank account and just being so stressed about money and so stressed about like is it gonna come into my life do I what am I gonna do about this to being 20 year old with over 60 grand in savings and I think one of the big changes that I made between those two was even when I had zero in the savings account I still believed that I was abundant I still believed that money was gonna flow into my life I still believed in something that I couldn't see at the time because I knew it was just a matter of time before it was gonna come so I'm such a huge believer and you can radically change your scenario you can step into that next version of you and that next version of you that higher self version of you she's not that far away as you think i think she's just there's just garbage in the way and it's just undercovering that garbage that's in the way of you getting to her and just stepping into that and the next version of you with the next level of results it's something i'm super passionate about and i hope from this podcast that you get to hear these stories and relate with these people and just relate with like not necessarily like just reconnecting to that path of what you want to do and reconnecting to that higher version of you and what you wanted to be when you were younger and what lights you up and what brings you joy so i'm so excited for you guys to hear these episodes would love to connect with you on instagram my instagram's the shit show my 20s dm me and love to have a conversation and feel free to share this with someone you know will love it and you can also leave a review on itunes i would love that Today's guest is Dr. Travis Fox. I love chatting with him. He's a celebrity teacher trainer. He holds two doctorates, one Emmy, 30 plus tele awards, as well as over 14,000 hours on stage. He's a producer, director, author, entertainer, and so much more. We went into so many incredible things in this interview from becoming a parent as a teenager and what that whole experience was like and how he was able to not let that experience deter him from accomplishing all that he wanted to and how he was able to use that to really help him catapult him as well as we also go into how you can read anyone in three minutes and his journey his entrepreneur journey and so much more so excited for you guys to hear this interview let's get started
So thank you so much, Travis, for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to getting to know you. I love to start. Tell me about your 20s. Feel free to include any shit show moments we might resonate with. Let's start there. Well, how long's the show? Thanks for letting me be on it. Because if you want to talk, I mean, the, my, uh, my 20s were a combination of shit show and shit show supreme. So I'm not sure if that uh, is uh, all you want to talk about, but we'll go there. Uh, my 20s were unique because my 20s were uh, a combination of deprogramming myself from what my father wanted my career to be based on, which was to be a PGA Tour professional. And I had spent 20 years in that space, just shy of 19 be candid and I had a mental breakdown from two, fi- two uh, fracture points. One, I became a uh, first time father at, you know, 18, early 19 and was completely ill-prepared for the task. Not that you were ever prepared for it anyways, but completely ill-prepared for it. And then secondly, from that model, going through an extreme heartbreak and I was ill-prepared for that as well. And it shattered my personality and who I thought I was, or at least who I thought I was playing at the time. And from there, it switched my entire life path switched. I was originally going to be a PGA Tour golfer. I went in as a real estate major, you know, real estate and golf made sense to me duh. and came out a psychologist, came out completely different modality uh, and learned in that process, which was part of the shit show. If I may quote it again, realizing that I was playing golf for my dad and I was playing, you know, that was the only way we could communicate. And when I told him, I said, dad, I'm, you know what? I, I really appreciate the last 20 years. It's been a great learning experience and all that it's been, but I don't want to be a PGA Tour professional golfer. I've I want to go, I want to finish what I've done with on my mom's side because I started uh, modeling and acting and stage work when I was nine and it continued all the way through my teenage careers. I said, I want to pursue that and I want to really take self-transformation on in a whole new way, both entertainment and entrepreneurialism combined with self-transformation. And of course, that that wasn't a real job to my father. Okay, well, <laughs> good thing it's not your job, that is mine. And then from the 20s was, you know, trying to trying to be a father at 20 and change uh, with my ex-wife, who I'm still dear friends with to this day and, and her husband and my significant other, we're all dear friends and running an entertainment company while finishing school, going to university and then having a second child again. And then from there, you know, really discovering what is decorum? What is, what is it that I wanted to be on stage? How did I want to run my company? How did, you know, I show up in certain situations and boy, you know, most of it, as you probably know, is, uh, you know, it's trial and error. Uh, and it's something that has become, actually became a, a mission statement for myself and for our, my partners was, you know, you come out of, of education and you're educatedly intelligent and life stupid. And I was both. I was you know, highly educated, highly intelligent, all these letters after my name, I'm, you know, doctor this, doctor that. How the hell do you negotiate a lease for an apartment or buy a car correctly or what the hell's a 401k, you know? And I mean, you don't, you don't learn these things. And it really became kind of the bailiwick for, for what we do, which is, you know, education you should be a part of it, but learning is the key point. And I found myself caught between trying to act like I knew what the hell I was talking about, because on the education side, I did. But in life, I'm, I don't know, I'm making crap up as I go. I had more money than my father had ever made. And I had houses and cars and tour buses and people to manage, but I could barely manage myself, which is the proverbial shit show. Cause you know, on the outside, you're putting on this image as I was trained to do. This is Dr. Fox. I'm filming television. I've got all the answers, blah, blah, blah. I'm dressed nice with my, thing. but on the inside, you're going, I don't know. I'm just, I'm new on the planet. I'm making crap up as I go. And so, uh, you know, the, really that became the base plate of, well, how come we educate that way? How can we continue to do that as a species? And that's been my work for the last 31 years with myself and my partners. Mm. So I would love to pick apart first telling your dad, no. Okay. So telling your dad, like, I know you have this vision for my life. I know you see this, but I don't. So it's not happening. Mm. What had to happen before that for you to have the guts to do that? 
Oh, well, my father and I always had a very fun relationship, right? It was either we could communicate on the golf course or it was a constant battle. My, my father had this Michigan farm boy work ethic and was a fighter pilot simultaneously. So he was well-educated, had a couple master's degrees, obviously could fly an F4 plane, which is not easy to do, and had been in the Vietnam War as well and had that kind of, you have to earn it mentality, which, okay, there's merit to that. However, when it, I always felt when it bled into our relationship, how do I earn being your son? How do I earn your, you know, your love, your approval? And it really became a constant battle for me. And I got to the point where I was around 18. I think, you know, if I really look back and I reflect and Dr. Fox's answer is I reflect there is a subconscious, you know, intervention that I created commonly called having a child because it was the ultimate way to screw up my golf career. And I did. It didn't screw up me as, as a person, but it screwed up my way as a golf career because at that moment, when I you know, had to say, sit down with my parents and say, hey, by the way, this is the situation. This has occurred. This is real. We had to look, we looked at all the options and what we decided obviously was, you know, we're going to have this child and we're going to go for it. And, you know, it really became the impetus in a way to talk to my father because that it gave him the distraction enough that he couldn't focus on being pissed at the golf career. It was six months, eight months later when I'd done uh, six months on the, on the uh, Golden State mini tour and said, this sucks, dad, I'm miserable all the time. You know, I'm, I'm either pissed off or I'm miserable and I'm disappointed in myself. And then having to come and report these results to you only to get more shit from you is not a, not a long, long long-term sustainable uh, process for me. And I just sat down and said, dad, I'm I'm not doing this. I found my path. I'm going this direction. It was a quick engagement. It, It encompassed a couple of three or four words. I'll let you figure out what those words are. And he said them to me and I said, I hear you, but you know, uh, I think that, it, and I'm not trying to throw my father under the bus, although he was a challenging individual. I think what really saved me from that time zone was one, my mentor who I was sitting under going to school at the time. And two, uh, the words of my mother in my head, you know, she always built up my self-esteem and she had me on stage when I was a kid, which, you know, most, most kids aren't there. Most people are afraid of public speaking. Still number one fear. Me, that was normal. Being on stage was comfortable. And that was really had become my secondary family. Because when I was on stage performing and working and speaking, I really enjoyed it. I got off on it. It was an, it was an, a euphoric feeling and not from a, oh, they love me, but no, watching the whole group move is an energetic push. And so, I, you know, coming from my, my mom's background and listening to what she was said, you know, she's like, hey, you know, it's your life, Travis. You have to make these choices now. And it doesn't matter what your, your, your dad and I say. We may not agree or agree and disagree with you. However, it is your journey. So credit given where credit due that those little mantras that my mother would, you know, see plant throughout my, my teenage career really came back to save me because, you know, my father didn't speak to me for about five years after I said, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm leaving, I'm leaving golf. Um, I'm not interested. Even though I went back and coached, I coached on the PGA tour for 10 years. I was, you know, I, I made a lot of first, I was the first, you know, psychological golf infomercial in history. I was at XM radio for years. I coached major winners. I made a real strong presence for what I did. And it was me settling my terms with golf, but my father, even into that day, and I'll never forget it. It was, oh, we'll call it 2007, eight, somewhere in there. If memory serves correctly, we were up in Michigan, ironically, at what used to be the Buick open. And I invited my father to come out and, you know, see some of the players and, you know, gave him a pass. Kind of this VIP thing, right? And all I remember is that about that entire round, all my father did was, why aren't you out there playing? You're just as good as these guys. Why aren't you playing? Why aren't you playing? I'm like, dad, I don't like it. Fuck off. Here's my, here's my answer. Quit bugging me. My obligation is to take care of my clients. And that's where I, I'm happy. And then that was really the last conversation we ever had about golf. And then fast forwarding to a decade later, my father got remarried to his high school sweetheart. I said, great for you, dad. I'm happy for you. And he had, everything had to do around golf. So he couldn't come and just visit 
myself and at the time now his, his, you know, his grandchildren and particularly my, my uh, one son. And he kept taking the space of, you know, well, how many times are we going to play golf? And what are we going to do about that? Are we going to, are we going to go play in a tournament? And I'm like, dad, if you can't fight it in your heart, just to come hang with your son and your grandchildren, I think our relationship's done. Uh, I love you. I'm grateful for everything, but I'm a full grown man now and I've earned my own right. And this is my kingdom now. And I'm, you know, I appreciate you as the, the, the father of the, of the king, if you want to use that metaphor. However, it's my kingdom and it doesn't work for me. You know, the, I, my life is built around people that are around me that we love and appreciate each other. We respect each other. We have a great time together and there's a respect in, in the mastership of each other. And my father could just never see that. It just bothered the piss. I think maybe because I, I look a little more like my mom, go figure. And obviously uh, I ended up spending more time in entertainment than he would like. And of course, I'm sure their divorce had some overlaying map that he decided to project on me. And I said, well, father, I get it. He said, but you know, that was, you know, years ago, can we move past it? And he just couldn't. And to the point, and fast forward all the way to the end of that journey, we didn't speak for 10 years. He refused to call me. And even though I checked on him, he wouldn't return a phone call. And he just said, you know, he literally, his last words to me is my obligation to you is done. That was his last words to me. And then uh, last year in 2020, right before uh, we premiered uh, Beyond the Secret, the, the sequel to The Secret, which I co-produced and co-starred in, I thought for sure I'd at least get a phone call. I did, but it wasn't the one I was expecting. I got a call from my ex-wife about an hour before I was going down to the press junket and uh, my father passed. And to that point, and to prove how ironic it was, I, I've taught for years, hey, if you only had 30 days left to live, would you be doing anything you're doing in life right now? Or would you, would you change it? Obviously, that, that question usually provokes some things. I'm sure it will for your listeners, and I hope it does, because it's a really good way to look at where we're at. My father, uh, in December of 19, I had found out later from my ex-wife, had pancreatic cancer, and they literally told him, Mr. Fox, you have 30 days left to live. You need to get your affairs in order. No phone call, no will, nothing, just left the planet. So, you know, I think, you know, and if I, if we put this all the way back to the shit show for the twenties, I, I think the more the shit show for me was I got out of it by working through it, but my father carried that resentment or something along the lines to get pancreatic cancer. And it became that dis-ease that ultimately, in my opinion, I could be wrong. I'm, I'm not a medical doctor, but emotionally, you know, either shortened his life or, or completely took it. And it further validates what we do here at the quest of, Hey man, be careful. You're a really good manifester, even when you think you're not. So be mindful. And I think he carried that for a long, long time. And so from the positive lesson, you know, even though it was from a distance was dad, I made the right path. Cause if I had stayed pissed off and, and upset and OCD and playing a game that gives you a lot of negative feedback, which is golf and you lose more than you win. Uh, and you you take that kind of approach. I said, what would have been my fate? You know, would I, would I be, you know, would I be, would I even have any kind of the friends I have now? Would I have any relationship at all? Uh, because it, it, you know, I don't know a lot of happy PGA tour golfers because it's a very, very difficult game to master. Right. Which is why it makes people like Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson and, you know, and DJ, some of these really powerful players so much more magical, but for the rest of the known humanity who are good at the game, it's, it's not a real positive feedback game. I said, I don't want to live my life that way. And, and he further validated that by watching how he carried it. So, you know, from that shit show, it became Shinola, if I can use that little analogy, and uh, it became the impetus for my work. So from a certain point of view, my dad was the trigger. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And how are you able to process being a dad so early? Like, how are you able to take that on and not like, let that like discourage you from the path you're on today, like discourage you, like, I have a kid or I'm not able to have the business that I want or like, how'd you not use that as like 
I won't, I, won't, uh, I won't preclude myself that I didn't. I will tell you that I learned to be a father probably in reverse. What I mean by that is generally, I'm going to speak in generalities now, general people, general generalities, people are you know ready to have a child. They choose to have a child. This is what we're going to do as a couple. That's not how we, it, ours came about. It was, hey, we're two athletes and we're you know, highly sexually charged, do the math. You know, and you, you play the game of roulette of either, you, you know, you're doing the, the monthly cycle game or you, hey, if we, you know, just use just the tip, don't worry, we won't, we won't get pregnant. All, all that's horror shit. It does. You do get pregnant. Calm down. And we did. I, for me, I've always been real resolve. Well, when, when I make a choice, I just go there. There isn't another option. I'll pivot if necessary, but the end result doesn't change. And one of the things I learned from my father was, you know, being a dad isn't an option. I mean, yeah, you could walk away, but you're still a dad. You could never see your children, but you're still a dad. And what I learned from my father and how I learned to be a better father was all the things that I wanted from my dad, I imposed upon myself and said, I want great communication with my kids. I want them to feel comfortable to talk about whatever they're talking about. I don't want them to get the attitude of that. I know everything because I sure as hell don't. I'm, there's no handbook for parenting. I'm making crap up as I go. And to take them on the road and have them tour with me during the show days. And we were on the road sometimes 200 days of the year. And so having, you know, having a team around, I think helped. It also taught them that there's a lot of people out there. And I think that's a really positive for a lot of kids. And I wish more kids would have that experience because you, you, you grow up in the same town with the same friends. And also you go out in the world, you know, you tend to be a little more uh, redacted. You kind of pull back a little bit because it's, there's a lot of people out there. It's a big world. I'm like, <laughs> but for me, I grew up, you know, the first 10 years of my life outside the United States, even though I was born here. So for me, being multicultural was natural. So I took that kind of approach with my kids and said, look, there's a lot of people out there. If you understand yourself and how you show up and how people show up, then it makes, you know, meeting people a fun experience. And you can do this in your business and your relationships, obviously your friendships and just wandering around the planet as a nomad, um, you know, being human here for the time that you're here. And that's how I became, uh, I think, a better father. I also think maturity helped because, you know, until 25, we all think we got our shit together. You don't, you just think you do, you know, and especially when you get a lot of money really quick and it happens a lot, especially in today's world, because of what the internet can do. Uh, you get a lot of money quick. You, you find out that the material things that you blew hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars on really was kind of dumb. But I think having kids curtailed that a, a bit for me. I always had nice houses, nice cars, et cetera, from a materialistic point of view, but I never went over the edge. The kids were always on my mind, setting them up for what do they really want? And I think the final thing that I really worked with all of them on was learning to listen to their own internal voice, learning to listen to this. Cause that's what I, I didn't have anybody teach me that. I just kind of went on gut and I'm just kind of winged it. When I said, this is the path for me, dad. I don't, I don't want to play golf for a living. Uh, I don't mind coaching it. I love coaching it. And I think it's fun, but I don't want to do this 33 weeks of the year. It's just not my, it's just not my interest. You got to love it to be at that level. And I like it. I don't love it. And so, but I love people and I love doing what I do. And I love doing what I do with my partners because we, we play, we have a blast. I'm probably a bigger kid now than I was when I was in my twenties, to be honest with you, uh, which is probably why I was a shit show. I was too busy trying to be 50 years old when I was 20. And now at 20, I'm uh, 50, I'm now 20, right? So I'm Benjamin Button. I probably live my life backwards in that way. And that's okay. But I really worked with my kids on having honest communication. And because they were on the road, they had to learn to adapt to different cultures and even the United States, there is different cultures within the United States from the Northeast to, you know, to the Southwest, vice versa. It's different cultures and it helped them get really comfortable with themselves and who they are, uh, at least from my point of view and what they've become. So for me, I think that was the approach I took 
um, because I didn't have it with my father I, and I was an only child. So I didn't have anybody to talk to. If I didn't have my friends and I didn't have the stage and I didn't have what I was doing out in public, you know, my conversation with my father was very limited. It was always limited about what he felt was right at the moment and what I was doing wrong because that was kind of his modality or golf, which is ironic because at the age of 11, I was a scratch golfer and my dad was a 12 handicap. And I would you know, try to, hey, dad, you know, maybe your hands are gripping this and no, 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 that's not what I'm doing. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, well, so I learned, I also learned that just because you can doesn't mean you should. And that really saved me in my professional career. Cause yeah, you know, I, I can create profiles pretty quick and look at someone and kind of see where things are. And I've, I've made that mistake in my twenties to quote you know, the beautiful title of your show, which I love. Oh, perfect. The shit show of me going, well, I'm Dr. Fox. You know, I, I can see it. Let me just tell you what I see. Well, just because I can doesn't mean that other person's ready to hear it. So learn to shut up, Travis. But I, I learned that from my father. And then I got recycled again in my 20s where I went, eh. and I teach all my graduate students. I'm like, hey, just because you can doesn't mean you should. There has to be this two-way acceptance of conversation. And if, if they don't, then you get comfortable with the word okay. And I think that really became the impetus of being a father. And for me, it was always understanding that they're not possessions. I don't own my kids. They are divine souls on their own path. Uh, who have chosen myself and, and their mother for whatever reason. Uh, some of those reasons are revealed, some aren't. But to really guide them to how to be themselves through this journey, which I have found in my professional career is really the number one reason that people tend to get into their own shit shows, if I may, uh, with their business or their relationships is because they're too busy trying to be something else. And I learned that from my father and part of what all my work has been based on is that I had to earn the right to be myself from my father. And the way that I had to earn that right, especially in my 20s, was I had to go be everything else but me to prove that I had done all these things and they weren't really me to finally come back to being Travis at, you know, in my young 30s when I had my third, uh, third child, my second son. And I realized from him, my, my son was actually my teacher, came in autistic in this world. And so all of my great communication skills and all of my stage presence and all of these awards and film and television didn't mean diddly squat to an autistic. He didn't give a flip about that and forced me to be present and forced me just to be with him and to communicate with him from here without using words, which is where my mastership has always been. And I could use words and move them around. And he took that out of the equation and it really force invited because if I hadn't had it, I probably wouldn't have done it. So how do you really drop into the shadow? How do you drop into the emotional structures? How do you really drop into the trauma that we all carry in various forms and be able to release it? And it became that next level that took my, my professional work and my personal career to a next level. And so becoming a father for me was like jumping into the deep end of the pool, right? You're either in it or you're not. And even if you say, hey, I'm only going to do it at arm's length, there's no such thing. And, you know, we, we do have a Hollywood family. Uh, you know, my ex-wife is remarried and, and her husband, who I love dearly, who's a beautiful producer and, and director, uh, has kids of his own. So that side's blended. Well, my partner has kids. And so we're blended, but we're all family and we all get together. And there's no such thing as the word step. And I think that's a you know one of the things that I really watched from some of my friends and then as being a father is the word step is dangerous. It creates disassociation. It creates separation. It creates, well, you're not really in the family. You have to earn it or there's an obligation or I'll tolerate you. All of those kind of feels, which I felt naturally from my father because that's how he approached it. But there wasn't a step involved. You put a step in there and say, well, that's my stepdad or my stepmom. I think you psychologically you know, do damage both to your, yourself and that you're not really a parent because you are. There's no such thing as step. A step is just horse crap in my opinion. But if you need to use it, that's your journey. But it also for the kid... And the child, it creates that separation that they're not wanted. 
And being not wanted, we will psychologically, we will go find a place we fit in to feel wanted because we all want to feel part of something bigger than ourselves. We want to feel acceptance, you know, go from the hierarchy of needs, food, air, water, shelter, self-acceptance. And so we'll look for it. Well, some of the places kids look for it might not be where you want them to go as a parent. So yeah, ends up being another shit show. And that's a whole nother conversation. But I think that's really a key thing is you know, there's no such thing as being a step and there's no such thing as being a part-time, even if you're divorced and you have split custody, you're still a parent. And, you know, I think uh, if people can really stop, you know, their personal relationship and their bullshit between each other and really realize that the kids don't ever stop listening, they don't ever stop recording. They don't ever, they, they see a hell of a lot more than we want to admit because we think we're adults and we've got our shit together. We don't, we're asleep, they're awake. We teach them to go to sleep like we were taught as opposed to stay awake. And in the field of work that I was in and still am in, which is you know, subconscious modalities and shadow work of bringing that to consciousness, what I did with uh, all my kids was, and now became the impetus for my work, was what if we took it into the fantasy realm? What if we took it into that subconscious? What if we took it into a place where it was fun and all things were possible, commonly called the subconscious, and then made it into a reality? And really, that's how we really create as human beings anyways. Uh, it's not, hey, think it, purple Lamborghini, they'll fall out of the sky. It doesn't, work, it doesn't work that way. Although that sounds really cool on, you know, cocktail parties and, and you know, social media, but it's not the real way it works. Uh, we're constantly fighting against ourselves. And so working with uh, my, my kids, I always approach them as adults. They were allowed to have fun, but I didn't talk to them and talk down to them. There were moments I had to, you know, have mild corrections as all things, but I didn't talk down to them. I said, hey, you know, you're, you're now 11, you're 12, you're 13, you're 15. What do you want? What do you, I, I don't know. Well, let's go inside for a second. Where do you feel it? And really get them really crystal clear to listen to their own gut, what we call true compass North. Because at the end of the day, that's the only thing that we truly can rely on as our own truth. And when that has been either beaten out of us, and I mean that literally and figuratively from compression, suppression, oppression, and school does that and parenting does that, you know, we're conditioned for the first 17 years of our life to go have fun, be a kid. And then all of a sudden at 17, it's, Hey, here's the deal, Sophia. Now you got to go be an adult and you got to grow up and you got to, you know, get serious, but I don't have any training on how to do that. So we literally are thrust into the deep end of the pool. We say, Hey, here's the deal, girlfriend, go find your purpose, find your passion, find your soulmate and good freaking luck on doing that. We'll see you when you're 50 and you have a midlife crisis and we'll do this all over again called the shit show of my midlife crisis. And I'm like, that model doesn't work family. So what if we, you know, really worked with the kids from the perspective of they are sovereign beings, just like you are, and you teach them how to follow their own choice, even if you don't agree with it, but you teach them to trust their gut. Otherwise they fall prey to peer pressure. They fall prey to drugs. They fall prey to sex. And I'm not saying those things are bad or good. I'm just saying the bottom line is we can go that direction and often we go that direction and we're, we're seeking something and we don't get it. All we've done now is compound. We've added to it. So I, that's how I approach being a father. And, you know, uh, at the risk of sounding egoic, the kids turned out okay, you know? Uh, and I also yeah. think that parents would do well if we, we take the attitude of that our kids teach us as much about ourselves, if not more than we really teach them. And if we can drop the attitude of authority and drop the attitude of I've got my crap together, blah, 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 blah. And really just talk to them as you would talk to an adult, not as a peer per se, but just a fellow sovereign being. There's a really interesting dynamic that occurs in your trust and the relationship between your child, at least if that was my experience, bonds you in a way that uh, you don't have to work for. You know, you need to trust me. You need to do as I do as I say, you know, mom and dad know best. Do you? No, you don't shut up. You don't know best. You know a concept, 
but you only know it from your point of view. And I only know it from my point of view. Maybe they're seeing it from another point of view, no different than my father only saw, hey, we've spent the last 15 years playing golf. I've made an investment in you. You're supposed to be a return on investment. I said, I am. I didn't realize I was a stock, dad. I thought this was life. And that's how my father approached it. So I approached it the other way and said, well, this is your choice. Understand that there's every choice has a path and it's going to have all these different variances as you call those high lows, left, right, good, bad, pros, cons, call them whatever you want, but that's part of the adventure. So learn to embrace that adventure and choose the choice that you want, not choose the choice that you think you have to, or you need to for somebody else. And we've all heard that, but we default to that because we've been conditioned to, as opposed to truly listening to what sounds feels good for us and our journey, regardless of the outside experience. And if you teach that young, I think that's the best thing we can do as parents is teach them to trust their own gut and not trust everything else, especially in today's world where we're bombarded, you know, billions of pieces of information every day, videos and social media and yada, yada, yada. And you can get overwhelmed and very easily, and if I may use the pun, hypnotized into somebody else's story or somebody else's choice as opposed to your own. And of course, the only person that gets really shafted in that deal is you. So that's how I approached it. Yeah. And I'm curious with like all the tools that you have and all the things that you can give your kids, but also wanting them to experience their own shit show moments and wanting to kind of allow that space for them to go through their own things. How do you navigate the both between not wanting to like give them too much, but also wanting them to experience, you know, those moments? Yeah. So that's part of what we do in in architecting land over in the quest is we, we actually, you know, I taught my kids the same thing I teach my graduate students. It's the same thing. I said, Hey, look, these are where belief structures come from. These are the emotions that drive them. This is where your subconscious is going to autopilot. And this is how your conscious is going to frame the world based on that grid structure, commonly called architecting. And I think part of it was always getting them to be really crystal clear, or at least to the best of that moment, what they were choosing it for. What was it they wanted to experience? And I was very candid with my, my kids. Hey, look, your dad's done sex, drugs, rock and roll. I've, I've been there, done it, bought the season pass. Obviously, I was a young father, so you know I was a whore. Let's just own that right out. Let's be honest, right? I know that you're going to experience those things. And so like with my eldest son, uh, we made an agreement at, at uh, age of 13. I said, listen, when you're ready, if you want to experience alcohol, if you want to experience drugs, you and I'll do it together because dad's been down that block a couple of times. And so I want you to learn what's called threshold. And I think this is a, a really cool thing that parents would experience. They're willing to and drop you know, religion or culture or what they think they're supposed to do. But this would save a lot of kids' lives, especially when they go off to university or they go off after high school to their first apartment, because we don't know threshold. Like we don't know when to stop drinking and we puke our guts out for three damn days or we end up in the hospital with alcohol poisoning or, hey, we've done ecstasy times nine and we're dehydrated as hell. We end up in the ER because, you know, we went to some concert and weren't paying attention or we got lost in the peer pressure of experience. And so I always work with my kids of A, Let's do this together so you learn threshold. And I actually did it with you know, my eldest son and not so much my daughter and obviously my, my autistic one. He has, he has no interest in drinking, so it didn't apply. But my eldest one, for sure, who's you know Captain America and literally Captain America, an amazing overachiever, we got drunk together. And I said, you're going to drink until the point and I want you to, we're going to go through this so you can feel viscerally and, and literally on your body. Where is threshold? Where is your body saying, I can't take anymore. This is my rejection point and learn to hold firm to that for yourself, not for anybody else. There's no, there's nothing cool about power drinking and drinking a 12 pack or a 24 pack and, you know, drink some beer. I'm like, there's nothing cool about that. Uh, I say, because you're going to, A, women generally don't find it attractive, generally. B, your body's only going to take care of you so far. And C, you're the one that's going to pay the price no matter what. So let's learn what threshold is. 
I think that's a cool thing for parents to do. And that's what I did with my kids. And that included, you know, smoking pot. It's like, hey, let's smoke pot. I want you to feel this so you know what your body's going to go through. So when you're out in the world away from this protected environment, if you will, you have your own true compass north and you can hold firm to it because I think that's where a lot of young adults get in trouble because, yeah, they're out there experimenting because we were told to go find, you know, find the party, find the cool scene, find this, find that. Well, you find out downside is sometimes when you find out it's a consequence that stays with you for the rest of your life. And that can result in some pretty catastrophic things. And I'm not saying have a vanilla life because I sure as hell haven't been alive and I'm never going to, and my kids aren't either. But what I am saying is learn the choice of what's driving you on that choice. What is it you seek to experience? And I even told my, um, my two eldest kids, I said, look, you know, your mom and I are, are, are going to separate. We're dear friends. We've taken a year to, to dissolve this marriage and done it in a way that's really cool. Hey, these are things we wish we hadn't said. These are things we wish we had said. Thank you so much for this. And we really did a beautiful goodbye from the marriage and moved into friendship uh, and post-divorce. And I, I was very candid with my elder son. And I said, listen, you know, when I was out on tour that uh, between your mom and uh, my relationship, you know, I went and experienced other people, but I was really crystal clear why I experienced each individual. And I was direct with, you know, each woman I would engage with, I would say, you know, hey, you know, this is what I'm attracted to. This is what I want to experience. You know, this is what I'm, I'm looking to experience within myself. Is this something I really like, or is this some chemical attraction I'm interested in or an oddity or an exotica? What is it? So that I could truly understand what the hell I wanted in a mate. And I passed that on to my kids from the same perspective. I said, I don't have, uh, if you want to be sexually, you know, uh, volatile, promiscuous, I'm not here to judge you. Just be mindful of, you know, protection in some form or another for many different reasons, but also to what you're doing it for, because sex in and of itself gets boring and it will create a different dynamic in your relationships down the road, because if the relationship is based on root chakra or based on, you know, second chakra, and you're based on this, you know, chemical attraction, the physicality, that's going to wear off because there's only so many positions in the Kama Sutra and, you know, every, everybody's pink on the inside. So calm down. There's there, look for what you're experiencing and then build the mate that you want. And I say build meaning in yourself. What do I really, really, really want? And I think that's been really instrumental, uh, both in my own personal life, but the kids uh, and maybe hopefully all your listeners, because instead of meeting your match, and if you listen to the, the phraseology of that, the neurodynamics, meeting your match is, is an opposing force. Making your match is this, where you're going in the same direction, yet you have your individuality, but the commonality and the two greater holes do become one and yet still have their individuality. And I think that really comes from them learning uh, and experiencing. And I have kind of conversations with my eldest son who's 34 and um, we talk about it. I'm like, hey, what did you experience that individual? What did you learn about yourself? Not about them, that's second. what did you learn about yourself? How'd you show up? What was your experience? How come you chose that individual? Was it just sex straight? Was it an emotional connection? Was it a psychological connection? Was it a spiritual one for that matter? Was it all four or any combination there within? What is it you are attracted to in that individual and make note of it after the fact? Were you really attracted to it or was that some programming of what you thought it should look like or act like or talk like or walk like or whatever, as opposed to what you really want? And from coming from that position, uh, it allowed me to then say, hey, I know you're going to go out and do stuff. You're all good looking kids. You've grown up in the, in the entertainment world, that in of itself, you've traveled a lot. You've experienced, you know, hundreds of thousands of people as a, as a young adult, you're going to have some situations. There was two things I said, one, always understand the choice. And two, if you're ever, ever in trouble for whatever reason you call, 
I, there will be no reproach from me. You're not going to get busted. You're not going to get grounded. I'm not going to give you the dad lecture. I'm only going to ask you the same question. What was the choice? What did you learn? Beyond that, it's your journey, man. You're, some of these things you're going to have to learn, but the, if you at least have a grid and understanding of a, hey, this is how I created this. This is what I was looking at. It's what I thought I was interested in. This is what ended up happening. This is the gap. You can really start architecting your life, not from a control perspective, because control is an illusion anyways, but from a choice perspective versus a reactive decision. Oh, hey, good looking woman, high heels, looks like a model, I'm attractive. I'm like, really? Wait till you guys have three words of conversation. Maybe you aren't. <laughs> maybe, maybe it is just a physical thing. But then if it is, own it and be upfront with that individual, allowing them to choose if that's the engagement as opposed to many relationships start on, hey, Sophia, let me put my best foot forward and let me tell you how great I am and you tell me how great you are and we'll tell you all you know, the half-truths of the stories. And about six months down the road, you wake up and go, holy shit, I have no idea who I'm sleeping with and I'm in a relationship. And we all done that as a shit show of our 20s, but that's because we were conditioned to do it because we were told, go find your soulmate. But how the hell do you find your soulmate if you don't know what's in your own soul? It becomes a very contradictory point of view. And I find that many of us, and I don't know all of you, you know, the listeners of this can relate, but we are, you know, our first relationship is a shit show because we have no idea who we are, what we say we want and what we really want usually is a pretty big gap. And we're too self-judgmental, external judgmental, too afraid, whatever word you want to use to really express it because at, you know, 2022, you're still trying to figure out how to put your shoes on right to catch my drift. And same thing with your partner. And, you know, you wake up eight, 10 years later in your relationship out of obligation. You're in a relationship that has subtle resentment. And, you know, you start looking for external sources, whether it's sports or whether it's this or that as a way to fulfill things that you really could fulfill your partner. And I'm like, well, what's the point of having a relationship if you're already looking outside? It's a matter of time. Either the relationship will become an obligational sequence and it's just existing, which sucks for anyone, or B, it will destroy itself. You know, and, and, and it happens. I'm not saying that's an imper, uh, a perfect way to do it, but that's how we do it as human beings because our subconscious is still running the show. Mm-hmm. And if our subconscious is going, you know, I thought this was really cute when he or she did that. And now it irritates the piss out of me. And I've said it three or four times, but they don't listen. I'm like, oh, and I'm like, well, either it's time to get really, really authentic and honest with yourself and then your partner or say goodbye. And mm-hmm. many of us are afraid to say goodbye, you know, because we say goodbye, there's judgment in that. And all your friends say, oh my God, Sophia, how could you, he was the greatest thing since cheese. I can't believe you're doing that. You're, you're messing it up. And I'm like, yeah, well, were you fucking in? Cause if you weren't shut up, right. You weren't in it. Nobody knows what happens behind closed doors unless, you know, someone's doing porn. And then in that case, it's all fake anyways. So you go, you don't really know, but what you can do is honor their choice. You know, you have to agree with it and you don't even have to express whether you agreed or not, but you get to honor it because at the end of the day, all of us end up the same, broken, dead. We don't leave the planet alive. The question is, do we really live? And I think that comes from really being authentic with our choices. And that's how I help my kids navigate through it. Yeah, they made mistakes. They've screwed up, lost money, had relationships blow up, all those goofy things. But they never lost focus on choice. They always, hey, dad, this is, this is what I want. This is where I'm still going. I just kind of went over here for a second and banged my head against the wall. I'm like, cool. Now you know there's a wall there. Now we can go over here and stay focused. So that's how I really navigated it. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that. And I love to like, how are you able to read anyone in three minutes or less? Like, I'm really curious about how you figured that one out. Well, you know, I, I, we teach profiling in a whole fun way. And again, we do it in a, and 
really in a fantastical way, right? And I say fantastical, meaning that we take you to the fantasy land where you can do actionable experiences and we empower you so that as you quest through this, you can learn to abandon you know, your doubts and your insecurities and, and your misconceptions and journey on a real journey that you create in reality that gives a lifelong spark. Lifelong spark is where being uh, profiling comes from. And we teach you to ask questions so that you can look at uh, how am I showing up? Am I showing up as a warrior, a wizard, a bard, or a jester, which is the four prime archetypes? And, and my partner, Aaron Huey, master at archetypes, brilliant human being. And between the architecting and the archetypes, you can look at someone and based on a couple of simple, very simple questions, Here's like a fun example, like I'd say, hey, Sophia, why'd you buy your last car? You'd say. Because I like it. I like the color. I like how it makes me feel safe. I like the size of it. Yeah. So that's, so I'd go, oh, she's a bard. Great. She likes the feel. She's a feeler. She's, it's about passion. It isn't about the money. It's about how I feel in the car. I don't give the car if it's a hundred thousand dollars or $2. It doesn't matter to me. It's how I feel about the car. That's a bard. So bards are great, great people to obviously do podcasts or they're in sales. They're great messengers because it's all about passion for them and they have to feel it. And if they don't feel it inside out, it ain't happening. I don't give yeah. a crap with money, sex, drug, drug and roll. It ain't going to go down. I'm not going to go down. And what you learn about bards is when you're building your teams or you're talking to a client, a customer or a podcast or whomever, just Joe Schmo on the train, you learn how they, they move. And if you're, if you're having a conversation with a bard, if you're not talking passionately with them, I'm talking about fake it till you make it, not that bullshit. I mean, just truly drop into your own passion and ignite their passion. You'll never really get a full connection with a bard because bards really are feelers and they can feel you're full of shit. They instantly, I know I'm a bard too, right? I have bardness in me. I've been in them. And I don't mean acting, acting in film, although many are bards. I'm talking about how we talk about passion, about life and feeling. If we don't feel it, it ain't going to go down. My father and I are a perfect example. My father was a devout wizard, right? It's all logic. It's all being a reason. It's all by deduction. I'm like, great dad. That's awesome. So, you know, the Japanese have a great saying that says, if I lop off your head, problem solved but you still exist. How is that possible? And you'll learn there's a difference between your body, meaning Travis and who I am. I just happened to be in this body called Travis. And I didn't even choose my name any more than you did. Our parents chose it for us. And we went, okay, I'll be Travis in this life, but that's not who, who I am. That's just how you identify my spacesuit and how you identify your spacesuit. And so being able to, to read people in a couple of easy, fun questions, especially at cocktail parties now or networking events, networking events are my favorite. Because people are like, so, so, so what do you do? And how do you, you know, who cares? I don't, I don't care what you do. I care what you are. Because if I understand what you are, then that helps me understand how we can help each other. I can network what we're looking for, because that's who you're going to default to 99% of the time. So I know working with Sophia, based on that answer, I'm going to come to you from Bard. I'm going to talk about passion. I'm going to talk about what this moves, what the fire is, why we're going to ignite it, what's the inspiration, what's the impact. And yes, if it resonates, you're all in. I don't have to go any further than that. And you'll learn that in business so that you have fun with it because we've been taught business is a grind. Business is, you know, you got to be competitive. And I'm like, do you? Says who? I said, if you actually look at business models, the ones that are cooperative and the ones that actually work together and create cohesion, that's where the magic happens. And so, yes, you do take the science of the analytics and you do take the business acumen, don't get me wrong, but you also take the fantastical. Right. You take this mystical art of how do we create, how do we work and how we transform ourselves. And you slam these two together in this collision. And now that's where the magic really occurs. So now I can go, oh, let me just ask you this quick. Uh, why'd you buy your last car? Oh, because I did that. Oh, you're a bard. Got it. All right. Let's talk about passion. I, who cares what I think? 
Who cares what my reason is? Who gives about my, my, my P&E? Here's my, my business plan. You don't give a shit about any of that crap. You just want to know, does this feel good? And if it doesn't, she's in or she's out. Great. I don't need to bore you with all this other crap that you're not going to listen to anyways, because it doesn't resonate with a bar. A bar doesn't give a flip, right? Bar doesn't care, right? I don't, how do you feel logic? You don't. So what do bars do? Later, they're out. They're going to go look for the next stage. They're going to look for the place where they feel a part of something and it ignites their passion and they stay hungry because if they don't stay hungry, bards look for the place they do. Cool. So I know that as a CEO or as a founder, or as a entrepreneur, entrepreneur, whatever your title is out there, family, you learn how to see your clients show up in a fun way. And it makes it fun for your client because A, they feel understood and you are, you're not bullshitting them. You're just connecting with them. B, they feel like you're really listening. And when you're really heard, well, then that's what we really create. Cause now it's like, oh, wow, you really do see me. You really, I can be more of me. Yeah. In fact, being more of you is exactly what your business needs. Not this, like I did, I'm Dr. Fox and I've got my thing together and I'm this and I'm that. And I'm like, I don't even look like a doctor and I sure as hell don't act like one. And I mean, you know, I'm like, I tried that in my shit show in my twenties and guess what? I had connections, but they were always arm's length and I always felt misunderstood, but it wasn't the other person's fault or the group's fault. It was mine. Because I was only presenting Dr. Fox, one part of my personality. And we talk about holistic approach. So using you as an example, yes, right now you're Barty with me. You're being a Bard because that's this podcast. You're Barty. This is passion. This is what you love doing, like talking, learning. But it doesn't mean you're exclusively a Bard. We change personality parts and we think that doing that is bad. But yet, if you really look at it, there's Travis the son, there's Travis the doctor, there's Travis the father, there's Travis the podcast guest, there's Travis the filmmaker, there's Travis the, the CEO, there's Travis the founder, there's Travis the friend, there's Travis the dork, there's Travis the idiot, there's Travis the asshole. There's all kinds of Travis's running around up here. And by the time you're 40, there's about 40 different personality parts. And if you learn how you show up and explore you, A, isn't that the vision of our entire journey anyways called life? Find out and explore all of you simultaneously exploring other people and groups experiences your business, but also too, as a king and queen of your own castle, using that as the metaphor, you have to have all of your faculties at any given call because the king and queen does. But most of us stay locked in one thing. Warrior. I'm a warrior, man. I'm a warrior. I'm like, well, first of all, warrior doesn't even mean fight. Calm down. That's not what warrior means. But I know that's archetypally what you know Hollywood is portrayed it as. And yes, there are fights that the warriors take on, but that's not what the warrior is about. And so when you start to understand who you are, how you show up and you show up differently, which is okay, you can learn to shift. And now it's fun because now I'm not role-playing. I'm not acting as if I'm being, I'm being Travis in the warrior mode, or I'm being Travis in the bard, or I'm being Travis in the wizard and recognizing that, but always moving back into the king and queen, which is back down here as the, I'm the architect of my life. You're the architect of your life. All of your listeners are architect of their life. The question is, do we really know it? Or are we still running around on autopilot being programmed, which we've all been and choose to wake ourselves up from the self-hypnosis that's been posed on us of how life's supposed to look. I'm like, really? And you just ask a simple question. Uh, it's not, or this is a question. I should put a phrase. It's more of a narrative is it most likely is not going to look the way you think it does. And if it did, you'd be bored out of your freaking mind. So knock it off, take the adventure, put yourself back into an epic situation, discover the hero within you, truly create your own adventure, make your business fun by asking questions like that. And we teach you how to do it in the app. And the app is a blast because it's all themed and it's gamified. It's fantastical. And, you know, we deliver these results and we do it in a transformative way because I believe that entrepreneurialism and self-transformation are intertwined. And they've always been held in these very separate buckets, like they're 
uniquely individual. I'm like, that's impossible. If there is a resistance in your business, there's a high degree of probability it's you. That's not something you want to hear as an entrepreneur or a CEO or a founder or whatever your title is, but it's fact because you are the king and queen of that realm, whatever that realm is. And your employees, your contractors, your team, your clients, even your social media is about how you choose to represent your kingdom, not in fault, excuse me, not in falsehood, but as a king and queen with all your faculties at any given call, which in my opinion is what holistic approach really means. Because otherwise you're really only showing up and saying I'm holistic, but I'm only holistically showing up as a bar. Yep, that's true, but there's so much more. So if you look at it from, let's say the four prime archetypes, warrior, wizard, bard, jester, I'm showing up just as a bard. That means only 25% of you is actually at employment. That means there's 75% of you that is sitting on the sidelines going, put me in coach. Let me know what's up. I'm ready to play. And we hold the line. No, no, no. We've got to be this. We've got to be this. We've got to be this because mom, dad told me this or religion told me this or culture told me this or my education told me this, or I told me this. One of my other parts told me this. And then you realize when you wake up one day and go, crap, not only have I not been being myself, I have been putting myself in the dungeon of my own castle and then trying to play king and queen simultaneously and getting stuck in the middle. And that's where we constantly are battling against our limiting belief structures, our blue sky, you know, glass ceilings that we can't break through and why we, we, we can't figure out why the audience isn't listening or why I haven't reached a success or relationship or whatever it is you're doing. When you start looking at it from the, the fantastical point of view of timeout, science is proven, right? I know I'm a part of that too. Science has proven that we put you in the fantastical realm in down deep in your subconscious. And I'm not talking about hypnotizing you look at my watch. That's not what I mean. I'm talking about really just you understand how to do it and create from there, everything's possible. And then when that fantasy line and your reality start to blur, then you will truly understand what it means to be a manifester, to create abundance, to literally choose the life that you want, not the life that you think you want, but the life that's based on all of your faculties being in true right alignment with yourself, as opposed to, hey, my bar degrees with this, but my other three, I've silenced them. They're sitting on the sidelines. I don't want to hear what they have to say because it may be contrarian. And yet that's exactly what we need to be holistically aligned. And that's how we do it. Mm -hmm. I have a final question for you. So if you were to go back and talk to your 20-year-old self, what would you want to tell him? What would I tell him? Mm. You know, the first thing I tell him is to breathe. I really sucked at breathing. I was great on stage and still am. I can breathe on stage and I'm very comfortable there. But in times of stress or times of choice or times of change, times of real introspection, even if it's for 20 minutes, uh, you know, you stop breathing. And what I mean by stop breathing is I don't mean like stop breathing forever, but we do hold our breath. What we, and what I really would like your, your guests to really take a look at and your, your audience is, is the deal of the fight or flight mechanism is always there and it's constantly in trigger mode. In fact, more often than not, it's on. It doesn't really ever turn off because we live in such a triggered state now. And what I mean by that is not necessarily the threat of imminent danger, physical or, or death. I'm talking about, I don't know how to pay the electric bill or how are we going to raise money for the next round? Or what's the next you know, thing our business needs to do? Or what does my relationship need to look like transformatively? Or what do I do with my kids? And these, again, no blueprint maps that we have to go figure it out. Uh, and we don't have a way to figure ourselves out. Uh, when we, we get into fight or flight mode and we do that naturally through stress and anxiety, two things happen. One, we do hold our breath. But just like little kids, and we all are, our subconscious doesn't stop recording when you're in that mode. What you're actually programming yourself for is to be scared to death. And at, especially in our 20s, because we're making crap up as we go more often than not. And as I said, we said at the top of the, at the podcast, 
you know, we're conditioned to have fun. We're told to go be a kid. This is the time of your life. And then on a dime, all of a sudden we've got to be an adult. We don't have any training on how to be an adult, whatever the hell that means. And by the way, I don't know many happy adults, so I don't hang out with adults. Uh, I find adults to be drab, right? I like, you know, people that are, might have chronologically older, but they're still a goofball kid because they understand that life is, you know, is a very temporal thing and it's meant to be experienced fully and enjoyed to the best of that, that choicing of that individual. Uh, I'd also tell them, um, you know, don't fall for, don't fall for the bullshit. Don't fall for the hypnosis of this is what it's supposed to look like because you have letters before or after your name, or this is what you think social media wants. And, you know, even like Gary Vee says, who I, I, I'm a huge fan of Gary Vee and have been for a long, long time and have had the, you know, the real understanding of what he's gone through and, and even hired him to come speak at one of our events and just an amazing cat. And what I mean by that is he, he really constantly preaches on social media, be nice, be polite. And having grown up in Japan, that's a, that's a big thing for me because that's a part of that Japanese culture. There are levels of respect and you honor them. You don't screw around. There are consequences for that. And for me, it's why not be polite. Um, And more importantly, um, remember without an audience, no one gives a shit what you're saying. So take care of your audience, be respectful to the people. It's something I learned all my years on stage, you know, and I got a lesson through my uncle who was Garth Brooks uh, stage manager um, and stage builder, I should say, excuse me, he, you know, the elevator stage, I was my uncle that built all that. And, and one of the lessons I learned from, from Garth by way of him was, Hey, you take care of the person who's way up there in the farthest seat away from your stage. And you make that individual feel like they're sitting right on the stage with you and you will never, never, never be out of work. But remember your audience is the key to any life that you think you want to have. If you're going to be in this business, because without them, you're just some schmuck and nobody cares. And what I mean by that is you're not taking care of them. You're using them as a possession or you're saying, well, you guys should just come see me because I'm all that in a bag of chips. I'm like, okay, we'll take you off the stage. And who are you? And one of the things I, I learned from that was really taking care of the people being authentic to them, being grateful for them. I, I know. And I, I took so, almost seven years off from the stage. I've obviously been back on it for a couple of years now, film and television as well, but I took seven years off. And during those seven years, Two things I got to learn that I would have called back and said to Travis at 20 and 22. Hey, kid, these people, honor them with everything you have. Take care of them and just and really appreciate being on stage because being on stage came natural to me because I've been doing it my whole life. And I didn't appreciate it as much in my 20s as I, I do now in my late 40s and now 50s because I didn't have to earn it as much back then. I just did it. And I didn't really appreciate what it takes to be a professional on stage and what it takes to move an audience and to be authentic with them and to go on this adventure and take them on a ride. And they go with you and they go with you, with their dollars, they go with you with their likes or their following their podcast. They go with you in a myriad of ways that isn't necessarily a dollar exchange. Right. And the third thing I would say, and I say this to all of us, please stop following this social media bullshit that you need to provide value. What you are saying to yourself subconsciously is I am not valuable enough as I am. I have to keep presenting myself. I have to keep earning it. I have to have to have to have to have to. That is a very, very deep, dark hole that will never, ever have a bottom. Stop saying you need to present value. Just be you. That is valuable enough. The fact that you are here is enough. Yes. Can you improve on your skills? Can you be better at customer service or sales or, or whatever course providing, whatever it is you're doing? Yes, of course you can. But when you really take that approach and I've done this too, so I'm not preaching from some pulpit. I've done the dumbass shit shows of my twenties where I did not appreciate my audience. And I had literally hundreds of thousands of fans back then. We didn't have the internet back then. So it was really hard to get an audience. 
And I didn't appreciate it being there. So I would tell the kid, hey, look, man, breathe, really be present. Stop programming yourself to be in a triggered state all the time. And two, be authentic with your audience because they give you a life and they give you honor and they give you a space to be you, which is an amazing gift. And three, appreciate it, man, because not everybody gets to be on stage. A lot of people want to be on stage and social media has helped that process. But still, even then, it is an art and a science combined. And just because you have it and you've learned it and you've guided it, don't be an asshole and don't take it for granted because once you lose the stage and you've taken yourself off of it, which I did, you really understand the value of what that is and you appreciate it with a deep sense of gratitude. And I'm not talking about, hey, writing in my gratitude journal because that sounds freaking cool. I'm talking, you really understand gratitude. And that was for me exacerbated by traveling around the world you know, three times now and, and being with a lot of other cultures from nomadic people that have done it for 50,000 years to you know, the uber wealthy that are, you know, on you know 200 foot yachts that are you know 100 million dollar yachts and seeing what does happiness really mean and i got to see it on all ends of the spectrum and i came back and realized for me i'm happy when i'm on stage not because people are looking at me because we're all doing it together and being an only kid and coming from that space of being an only kid and coming from the abuses that uh, i went through and have endured in my own journey together was the only thing that was interesting to me everything else, this whole separate, and I got to take care of myself and be my self-made man are all illusions of horseshit because nobody's self-made anyways, but that's all ego. And I'm not saying I didn't have it. Believe me, I had it in spades. <laughs> Shit show in my twenties. This is why when I saw your show, I'm like, I have to be on that show. I, I qualified more than <laughs> twice, <laughs> but I would say those are the things and, and really take it from that perspective and, and appreciate it. Because remember one day you may stop breathing mm-hmm. and it might be your last. And we all know that innately, but we don't live it. We talk it, but we don't live it. And we don't tend to live it until it's too late. And so I'm grateful for the lesson that my father taught me that, you know, way back when, and it's kind of been this impetus for my whole career of, hey, if you only had 30 days left to live, would you be doing that? And it's constantly been why I've been transforming myself and the many chapters that I've had and all the experiences I've had from filmmaking to television to author and all these things that I was like, wow, that's so amazing. I'm like, yeah, but it isn't. And I don't, I'm not disrespecting my own journey or disrespecting the compliment. I'm saying you, the whole point of life is to be self-transformative, not self-help, because self-help helps you do the same crap over and over again. I'm talking about truly transforming yourself because you are a transformative creature. And why wouldn't you want to explore all of you? Because that's the adventure. And in that process, you will go on adventures that you would never, ever think you'd be on. You'd never believe they would look the way they do. And most importantly, they're amazing. And the people you meet along the way, you're like, I would never see myself with those people. I'm like, yeah, judgment much? Get out of that frame. It's because you're looking at the outside, you know, feel what their experiences is, learn from them because every one of us is a reflection of each other. Whether you believe that from a religious culture or you believe it from the theory of one or however you believe it, the bottom line is we're the only neighbors on the block called planet earth. There ain't nobody in our solar system. So it's us kids. So wouldn't it be really cool if we actually really looked at it from that point of view and then imparted that onto the next generations and truly make the change that we all say we want to make while we're here on planet earth or whatever that is. But be the change by being it, not by this. And I was guilty of that in my 20s. And so I, I think that's been a real cool thing for me to share now in my 50s to go, you know, Dr. Fox was an idiot, you know, great guy, great on stage, had the perfect look, awesome, always nailed the lines, blah, 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 blah. But it was a freaking emotional mess. I can tell you now, you know, now just really two weeks away from my 51st birthday, I'm more at peace now. I'm happier than I've ever been with myself, with my, my life partner, with my partners, with the work that I do, the people, I appreciate things more because I've taken myself off the stage to go, well, who is Travis without all that shit? 
who's at, who's all the Dr. Fox and the awards and all these things that are, you know, my clout, whatever. And it's really great when you're on dinner reservations. Beyond that, I'm like, Travis is enough. And so I would really invite all of us to take a look at you're enough. Even if you don't think you are, you really are. We can tweak your thinking, but being it's, it's really something that you just, you're going to experience. And when you experience it, then you don't have to think so much. And I know that sounds odd, but thinking's overrated. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. very overrated, but feeling to my fellow bard, you can't bullshit feelings. It's mm-hmm. really difficult to do that. You can fake them for a certain point of view, but even actors, great ones, bard, maybe perhaps, you know, like Tom Hanks, who was just a demigod, right? Even then you can spot on the screen when an actor is acting because they're not feeling that emotion because that's not really how they feel about certain things. And, you know, so it's a real cool way for us to learn from that and go, hmm, what do I really feel? How come I'm choosing to engage in this? What is it I want to experience? And then let yourself experience it, even if it feels uncomfortable because, uh, and I'll, I'll end with this. Everyone likes this law of attraction thing. Let me save you a lot of time, kids. Yes, like does attract like, that's true. But like does not learn from like. You learn from unlike. So bards, for example, learn from warriors, right? Wizards learn from jesters. So we learn from being around unlike. And instead of attracting the same thing around you, which also bores the crap out of you over time, and it doesn't allow you to explore more of you, be attracted to the unlike, what you think it should look like, and give yourself permission to explore you in that frame, very much like I invited my children to do. Go explore you. Find out if you really like it versus what you think you like or don't like. Go feel it. Go experience it. Be in it. Be immersive and be joyful in the experience. Even if you choose never to do it again, at least now you fully holistically know by experience, not just your thought, that this is a a choice for you or a choice not for you. So that's what I would say to Travis. Mm, I love that. that. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Where can we find you? Thanks. Thanks for being in the platform. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> Finding me is easy. You can, uh, you can go to the, our, just download the Quest app. It's called the Ultimate Business Quest. Come journey with myself and my partners and, and really actually help your business grow and have a great way. And you'll embark on a journey of new possibilities that will take your business where it's never been. You go to UBQ, that's uh, Ultimate Business Quest on Apple and Google Store. Download the app. It's 36 bucks, all in. We don't do one-time offer, but wait, there's more. It's like here, it's all yours. Now take the damn journey and make the world a better place. Become the king and queen you were meant to be. Always have been, just forgot for a while that you are, got hypnotized to believe you're something else or went on a different path. And those are all great, but you've always been a king and queen. And the world now needs everyone to come back to their whole aligned self. And let's go make business fun again. Go to the Apple store, Google store, UBQ, or you can go to the website, myquestapp.com. Thank you guys so much for listening. I love if you can leave me a review on iTunes. Please feel free to share it with any friends you think the story would resonate with. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day.